0: was just stupid. My goodness. Hey, thank them one more time with me, will you? Unbelievable what they do. Unbelievable. Wow. Come out, come out and turn my soul into a raging fire. You know, I believe with everything I have that that actually is a great prayer. I think everybody, uh, uh, every healthy, well-adjusted person would say, man, I want my soul set on fire. I want to be excited about life. I want to be excited about what I do day in and day out. And so I think, you know, set my soul on fire is an awesome prayer. But I think what's interesting is the diversity of ideas that we would all have about how to get there. I mean, we would have a myriad of different plans and routes mapped out. If we just kind of took a poll just in this room or people who are watching online right now, different ideas kind of is what makes our world go around, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what makes marriage go around. How many of you know that different ideas are interesting times in marriage? Can I see a show of hands? Yes, thank you so much. The buses will wait. You can put your hands down. You know, I think different ideas is really it's actually very a very very good thing i think different ideas about how we would set our souls on fire about what makes life work and different ideas really is kind of what makes things go around in the world around us i mean there are a lot of different ideas about what we should do about isis about how we should keep iran out of the nuclear big leagues there are some major major issues affecting our world and yet for all of the geopolitical global questions that have to be answered and the different ideas attached to each of them, none of those were what melted down the Internet this week. No, it wasn't different ideas about ISIS or Iran or funding homeland security. No, this week the Internet broke because of one question. What color is the dress what color is the dress now many of you have already seen this picture as a matter of fact Wired magazine posted an article quickly put together addressing the science of how we view color and it as of this morning has over 31 million unique reads still counting the New York Times posted a front page article about The dress controversy that rocked Twitter. I mean, this was a huge deal in my own household. I didn't even know this was going on. Julie just very casually showed me her computer. She said, honey, what color do you think this dress is? I said, well, duh, it's white and gold. She said, no, it's not. I had no idea that this was an earth-shattering decision that was being made. Celebrities took to Twitter and were very, very vocal and just adamant in their takes on the dress color. Anna Kendrick said, if that's not white and gold, the universe is falling apart. That's a little disconcerting, isn't it? Just for the record, it's not white and gold. But we're going to keep going. There were some other ones. Demi Lovato said, hold on. So people actually see white and gold? Next up, Julia louis Drives. it's blue and brown, period. Next. Even politicians got into it. Jeb Bush, a little late to this, but just took a look. And it's definitely white and gold. Isn't that fascinating? I love what Ellen DeGeneres posted. From this day on, the world will be divided into two people, blue and black or white and gold. So, now we know. Forget about Democrat, Republican, you know, tall or short, it's blue and black or white and gold. Those are the two camps on the planet from now on. But we've all got these different ideas, and and the dress is just like one thing. It's amazing how that dress just... Went nuts. It was, it was the dress worn by the bride's mother at a wedding off the coast of Scotland. And one of the bridesmaids just put it up on her Tumblr page and said, What color is this? We had an argument and nobody could decide. And now nobody knows. You know, crowdsourcing and all that kind of good stuff really, really worked out great on the dress. But to set your soul on fire, to to get at what you were created for, is really what we're all about over the next few weeks as a church. This series that we're beginning today called Come and Get It refers to the fact that God invites us to a soul-on-fire existence. That you were created, like I was created, to live a life with our souls on fire. And that the life on, for the soul-on-fire life is absolutely attainable. Right now, with passion and enthusiasm, I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and tell them, "Come and get it,", and get it. because it is absolutely available. This whole pad, this whole series of messages, really is rooted in one verse from the Bible. One verse has kind of inspired this idea, and it's from Psalm chapter thirty-four, verse eight. Psalm thirty-four, to eight says this: "Taste and see that the Lord is good." Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. One of the things that fires me up about this series is the fact that it is universally relevant. If you're here today and you are maybe a religious skeptic, you're kind of kicking the tires of the Christian thing This series is for you. I I want us to present a compelling invitation and a case for the fact that God is good. And to invite you to do what the Bible says and just just taste and see that the Lord is good. You maybe are beyond a skeptic. Maybe you passed skepticism by years ago and you're a hardened cynic. And you're like, I don't even know why I'm here today. Somebody promised me free coffee. Come and get it is for you as well. Taste and see that the Lord is good. But you may be here today and you're a, a long-time veteran of the faith. You, you're somebody that's, that's been around with God and following Christ for years and years, decades maybe. Well, I believe that God has something for those of us who fit into that category as well throughout the series to take our followership to what we kind of like to call around here the H&L. What the whole nother level That's the H&L. So we're going to take our followership to a whole other level throughout this series. We're going to be called out and equipped to help other people taste and see that the Lord is good. Now when we say come and get it, come and get it, it's important I think that we understand what it really is. So if you've got a Bible on you, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy is not one of the more highly trafficked books of the Bible. Very rarely will you tell somebody, I'm just feeling kind of down, and they'll say, you should read Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy's got some great, great stuff in it. And you're going to Deuteronomy chapter 30, if you've got it on your phone, or maybe you've got a a Bible that's actually made out of paper, you can look in Deuteronomy chapter 30. But while you're going there... I want to invite everybody to take out the program that you got when you came in this morning, and I want you to write down what we're going to use as kind of a working definition of it. What is it? When we say, come and get it, when God says, come and get it, what is it that he's talking about? And the definition that we're going to use as a church over the next few weeks as we head into Easter together is this, it is the joy of a God-first life. It is the joy, is the soul-on-fire passion of a God-first life. That's what God invites us to. That's what God created us for. And in Deuteronomy chapter number 30, there's a, a section of Scripture that we're going to dive into today because it is so crystal clear in how we experience It and how we live out this soul on fire existence for which we were created. Now, first of all, let me give you a little background. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is passing the baton of leadership to the nation of Israel off to our man Joshua. Joshua has been an apprentice to Moses. He's been a helper. He's been a warrior. He has been there in the trenches with Moses and Moses knows that he is about to die that he is going to die before Israel occupies the promised land, which he has led them to the cusp of throughout his adult life. And before Israel can enter the promised land, Moses is passing the baton to Joshua. And he's speaking here in Deuteronomy chapter number 30 to the entire nation of Israel. And, And this is kind of Moses' valedictory address. This is his final address, and this is what he says in verse 11 through 14. Check this out. Moses says, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It's not kept up in heaven so distant that you must ask, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey? And it's not kept beyond the sea so far away that you must ask, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so that we can hear it and obey? No, the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and it's in your heart so that you can obey it. Verse 11, this command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you. Tell your neighbor right now, It ain't that hard. It's not That hard. It's not that complicated. In the original Hebrew, it is not that difficult for you. As translated, this is not rocket surgery. Some of you will get that on the way home this afternoon. Thank you. Some of you sooner. But he's saying, don't complicate this. This is really very straightforward. That doesn't mean it's not profound. That doesn't mean it's not important. As a matter of fact, it's the most profound. It's the most significant thing in the whole world. But it's absolutely there for the taking. This is Moses telling Israel, come and get it. Come and get what God has offered to you. Come and get it. But there's a word that pops up in those four verses over and over and over and over again. Verse 12, who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. Verse 13, who will cross the sea to bring it to us so we can hear it and obey. Verse 14, no, it's on your lips and in your heart so that you can obey it. You see, the first thing that Moses is trying to get over to the nation of Israel and to you and to me is the fact that obedience anchors it. If you want to experience it, if you want to experience the joy and the passion of a God-first life, of a soul-on-fire life, it starts with... With obedience. It is rooted and anchored in obedience to what God has said. So when we read scripture, when we go to the Bible, we don't look for loopholes. We're not trying to prove that it's irrelevant in 2015 because it was written 1,000 years ago or 2,400 years ago. We say, this is the word of God and it is given to us as an expression of God's love. And so I will follow it. I will obey what God says. And obedience anchors this desire that we all have for this soul of fire life. And and it makes sense. If you think about it, we tell our kids what? When they're little, don't tell lies. Or we tell them, tell the truth, right? How many of you are parents? Let me see the show of hands if you're a parent. Do y'all remember the first time your kids told you a lie? You remember that? That, that's, That's a devastating moment for a parent because You've got this little bundle of joy that you've brought home for the hospital that you more or less feed all the time and, and you're taking care of them and then somewhere, somebody taught them to tell you a lie. And, and as a parent, you're kind of like, you're, you're, it's, it's a mixed bag of emotions and then you're kind of like mad because you, you're smarter than they are, at least for the time being. And so you know that they're lying and then you try to play it off. How many times have you said, Oh, So creative. No, he's a liar. (laughs) And and as a parent, so you're kind of angry, but then there's another part of you that's like, like you're hurt. It's like, you lied to me. And, And it manifests itself in a lot of different ways, but we teach our kids from that point forward, tell the truth. Your life will work better if you'll tell the truth. It, your life will be richer, more fuller. It will be simpler. When you tell a lie, what happens? You have to remember the lie that you told. have to remember who knows the lie. Then you have to usually, almost always, tell another lie to cover up the first lie, don't you? Whereas, if you would just do what God says and do not bear false witness. Just tell the truth. Your life will work better. I remember when I was a kid, my brothers and I were playing baseball in the backyard of our house in Houston. And I threw just a heater at my brother. And to be totally candid, it was a high heater. And it went over his glove and just smashed one of the living room windows in our house. And and as a kid, there's some things you don't know if it's wrong, you don't know if it's right. I knew this was wrong. And the window smashed and my mom came outside she very, very. This is great. This is to tell you about my mom. She goes, "Excuse me, what pray tell is going on out here?" And this is what I said. I said, "Mom, the window broke." She said, "Mac, I know." I was in the kitchen. The tinkling shards of glass on the floor clued me into the fact that the window broke. How did it break? The ball hit it. You see what I was doing? Even as a kid, I was a master deflector. The window broke. The ball hit it. Anything but I threw it. You see... Telling the truth simplifies life. Let me, let me take it another level. How many of you are men are married? Let me see a show of hands if you're a husband in the house. Okay, guys, listen. Have you noticed that when you choose to do what the Bible says and love your wife as Christ loves the church, you choose to set your wants, needs, and desires on the shelf and love her and Serve her and sacrifice and lead in a God-honoring, biblical way. Have you noticed that everything, and I mean everything, works better? Have you noticed that? I know I have. In my household. (laughs) I mean, it's funny. When I pay attention to Julie, stuff just works better. But you see, that's what God's called me to as a husband, is to love her is Christ loves the church. That doesn't have anything to do with the fact that I'm a pastor. That means that's just because I'm a Christ following man. Imperfect. Obedience anchors the God first life. Obedience is the source of that soul of fire life that we're all praying for and searching for. But there's another thing in there. When I obey God's Word, when when I'm obedient to Him and follow Him, obedience simplifies life. It simplifies life. When you're obedient to the call that God's placed on your life, for me, I'm a Christ follower. In this order, I'm a Christ follower. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. And then I'm a pastor. And so when I understand that that is what God's called me to, that's what He's created me for, it simplifies so much. I can then say no to a lot of stuff that I feel like I ought to say yes to. No, we got to go. No, just just no. Hardest thing you will ever do is learn when to say yes and when to say no. That's the essence of wisdom. But it simplifies things when you decide to live your life obediently it cuts out a lot of chaos and disorder and disorganization and flying by the seat of your pants and doing too many things and saying yes to too many people. Obedience simplifies it and helps so much. That's what Moses is getting at with Israel. I think that's what God is getting at with us. Simplify. Just live life obediently. Do the right next thing. Do the right next thing. Moses did not done the verse 15. He says, "Now listen, tell your neighbor. Now listen. Now listen. That was terrible. I want you to seriously like like Mo, like just go. Now listen, tell him again. All right, because if you're sitting next to somebody that you really care about, you're going to really want them to have this. He says, "Today, I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster." For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep His commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways. It's the obedience thing. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. Now, just check this out. Okay, we're, we're walking with God obediently. We're simplifying our life. We're anchoring our life in the obedience to the Word of God. But right here, Moses introduces a principle that is always true. Always. You can mark this down. Change fuels it. Change fuels the God-first life. Change drives The soul on fire life that you were created for. If you're going to experience that, you are going to experience change. You're going to go through things and beyond things. The nation of Israel understood this. Before they got to this point where they were about to enter the promised land, they had spent over 500 years in Egyptian slavery God used Moses to lead them out of Egyptian slavery, lead them toward the promised land. But then they kind of got a little sideways with God, and they took a detour for 40 years. And while they were in the wilderness, check this out. The, I love I that God chose Israel because I connect with Israel. I understand Israel. Listen to what happened. They left Egyptian slavery. They got into the wilderness. Wilderness was not very... Lush. They didn't have a lot of of plants and fruits to choose from. They got out into the wilderness, and this is what they said God, take us back to Egypt. Take us back to Egypt, God. Moses, why did you bring us out here into the desert to kill us? Take us back. Don't you know Moses was like, oh, just come here. I don't know if you remember, but in Egypt, we were slaves. Yeah, but we got fed every day, but you were slaves, you were beaten, you were whipped. Yeah, but we got food every day. And even in the wilderness, God provided for Israel. They had manna at their doorstep every single morning. They got bored with manna and God said, fine, I'll give you manna. And there are going to be quail landing in the camp every day. Bacon-wrapped quail with jalapenos attached to their tail feathers flew into Israel's camp for 40 years. And God said, I'm not done with you yet. I know you've gotten used to the manna and the quail with bacon and jalapenos is awesome, but you've got the promised land coming. You are about to enter it and occupy it. Everything I have done for you to this point is to take you from this point. Do not settle. I wonder today if you're dating somebody. If that's a promised land somebody. If it's somebody that's going to get you where God wants you to be to that God first soul on fire life. Because if it's not, may I please just tell you this. Nothing will happen on the other side of the wedding altar to make that happen. Somebody help me preach. I think about the girls that I dated when I was in high school and college. Great girls. Many of, most of them, committed Christian girls. A couple of them I thought, man, this could be the one. This could be the one. But how grateful am I? That I let go of that which was good in order to grab that which was great. That which God had in store for me. When I think about what Julie and I have gotten to go through together for 23 years, two kids and one church. All I can do is say, yay God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for bringing me through that. Thank you for not letting me settle But holding out for the promised land. Holding out for that which He desires. But in order to get that, you've got to be willing to change. In order to enter the promised land, in order to live it, to live a God-first life, you will have to change. You will have to go through things. You will have to learn to endure It's what God was doing with Israel, and it's what he continues to do with anyone who responds to his invitation to come and get it. Now, Moses goes on, verse 17 of Deuteronomy 30. He says, but if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now, you will certainly be destroyed. Destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to occupy, the Jordan River. See, Moses is warning Israel against replacing God with anything or anyone else. What he's saying here is idols will hijack it. If you're going after it, the God-first life and that soul-on-fire life that you were created for, Something will compete or someone will compete with God for first place in your life. That is an idol. We, we look at the story of Moses and we're in our 2015 sophisticated way. We're like, well, that was, you know, 1400 years before Jesus walked on the earth. They put up totem poles and bowed down to those kind of things. And they carved little images out because they were so primitive. Who among us? But we understand idols, don't we? Idols of power. Idols of possessions. Maybe even an idol as a person. Maybe the idol of pleasure. You see, that idol will hijack it. And when Moses says you will be destroyed, you will not live a long good life. That's just common sense because if I chase God with everything that I've got and He is first in everything that I do, then the one who gives life is the one I'm pursuing. There is nothing or no one else that I can pursue that gives me life. There's nothing in this world that you can chase with everything that you've got that will fill you with the life that is truly life. Only God can do that. And so this word from Moses is, is a word of caution out of love. You know, if, you're, if your little child is reaching for the stove, you don't just let him go for the stove. You warn him. You yell. Don't do it. Don't tell. Because you get burned. That's what God's doing here. He's warning us against the danger of idols, of anything that would replace him on the throne of our lives. Verse 19, today I've given you the choice, the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You see, inherent in the culture of Israel is this recognition of parental responsibility. And Moses is addressing that here. He's saying, the choice you make will affect your children and your children's children and your descendants. Choose wisely. Choose life. Point them toward life. I want to see the best for you and your children and your children's children and their children's children. That's the responsibility of a parent. But verse 20, he brings it to a very fine point and he says this you can make this choice by loving the lord your god obeying him and committing yourself firmly to him this is the key to your life and if you love and obey the lord you will live long in the land the lord swore to give to your ancestors abraham isaac and jacob Moses just makes sure at the very end here that Israel's getting it. That Israel understands that God invites them to choose it. He invites you to choose it. It's an invitation to choose the God first life. The soul on fire life. Because the fact of the matter is, nothing else works. Nothing else sets your soul on fire. Nothing else gives you life. And that may sound a little harsh, may sound a little braggadocious, but this is God talking. This is what God says. And because He's God, He gets to decide. You remember the dress? Is it golden white? Is it blue and black? The dress. We have an answer. I want to show you the dress. That's the dress on the far left there. The mother of the bride, wearing the blue and black dress. Now, just for the record. When I see the original picture that was posted on Tumblr, I still think it's gold and white. That's just that's just the way my mind works. But the fact is, the dress is blue and black. That's reality. We could discuss it. We could debate it. Inter- interesting. Have a cup of espresso. You know. Oh wow! Light refracted the cones in your eyes. You didn't see the blue. In the, what? That's the fact. It's blue and black. The fact is that God is God. The fact is that you are not. I am not God. That's reality. And the reality is that He has invited you, like He's invited me, to choose to live A God-first life. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a second. Just a moment. Nobody moving around or stirring for any reason because it's a holy moment. And in this moment, I want to just ask you as directly as I can. Have you personally responded to God's invitation to choose it? To choose the God-first life? I'm not talking about going to church or if you went to church when you were a kid or being a good guy or a good girl. I'm talking about responding to To the choice that God invites you to make. Personally and definitively. And as we said at the very beginning, it's very simple. It's very direct. It's yes or no. Don't try to muddy the water. Don't try to keep God at arm's length by complicating it. Just in your heart of hearts, answer the question. Have I responded to God's invitation to choose it? To come and get it? If you're here today and the answer to that question is no or I don't know. Then we want to give you the opportunity right now to respond to that invitation. To just right where you are, give your life to God. Just commit your ways to Him. Confess your sin. Claim His forgiveness in Christ. come and get it because it's there for the taking. If that's you today, then I want to just invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just talk to God silently, just right where you are. Just say, Jesus, right now, I want to come and get it. Jesus I need you I confess my sin all of it you know it all anyway but I confess it so that I can claim your forgiveness all of it and I give you my life all of it right here right now I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to just ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed another moment. Because this is holy ground that we're on right now. As God moves in people's lives, eternities are altered. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if that was your prayer and you meant it, nailing it down, in this sacred moment, I want to invite you to mark this moment. It's the most important moment of your life. And so I want to just ask you if you would, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would just raise your hand up high over your head and hold it there for just a moment to mark this moment. To make sure that you know this is real. This happened. Once and for all. And with your hands up, I want you to know that as a church, we want to be a family of faith to you. We want to help grow in this new relationship with God. Any way that we can. And we're excited for you. We celebrate this moment in your life. We honor that. And so as you go ahead and put your hands down, we like to go ahead and put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome